Welcome to episode 78 of Crave the Book. In today's episode, we're covering all of the bonus chapters for Covet, including the standard edition bonus chapters, the Vampire Dragon, and Witch's Court bonus chapters, and we are giving outlines of those bonus chapters if for any reason you have not been able to get your hands on them. We will give you the summary of what all of those awesome bonus chapters are about. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get started. Woohoo! We are finally done with Covet, except we're not done because there are bonus chapters to talk about in this episode, which is episode 78. Wouldn't it have been cool to end on episode 79 so that we could start court on episode 80? Yeah, I mean, we could skip it and just do, like, episode 80, but then I think that might confuse people. Kind of like when you miss p- missing pages in a book. You're like, I know that the story continues, but why does the page numbers change? Yeah, yeah. I think people would would get mad. Um, Now, guys, there is a, a slight chance, because the plan would be for us to begin court next week, but the book is currently in transit to Amber. Um, so, Amber... Uh, if all else fails, you do. We you, you could technically. I have Kindle. You could technically do. You know, first first episode with the Kindle. So um yeah, yeah. I just didn't fancy doing the whole of court. Yeah, because so, it's such a thick boy. Yeah. So guys, starting next week, we will be beginning with court, which is going to be super exciting and a little unfortunate for those of you who are still waiting uh, for court to be available in your country. Um, You might have to wait to listen to further episodes, but today we're actually going to be covering all of the bonus chapters from Covet. This includes the standard edition bonus chapters, the vampire court uh, bonus chapters, Dragon Court, and Witch's Court. And I thought that there was a Gargoyle Court edition for Covet, but there isn't. So, um, no, the Court was the first one. And last one, I think. Um, I think so. Did they do a, did they do a Gargoyle one for Charm? I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think so. First and last. Because they did the, Shadow, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, they switched to Shadow yeah. Realm. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to start with the standard edition. And we'll give you guys kind of, because I know that not all of you have been able to read all of the bonus chapters, but we will give you um, maybe like a, a, a brief summary. That way you're kind of caught up. And then if for any reason you're not able to ever get your hands on those bonus chapters, at least you'll know what you are missing and any of the lore that is important to you. Um, so the standard edition bonus chapters, though, are the ones that we all had access to. And those were... Uh, Blood really is thicker than water, which is a retelling of the scene where Hudson and Grace get back from the dragon court and they're getting all lovey-dovey. And then Jackson has a little freak out and he and Hudson battle battle it out in the hallway. Um, but then there's another chapter from Hudson's perspective called Blood Brothers where Hudson and Jackson go for a run together. So um, the first one... Honestly, this this scene broke me apart reading it the first time from Grace's perspective, but reading it from Hudson's, it's like this was a perfect and vulnerable moment from Hudson where he wasn't sure if everything that he and Grace went through at the Dragon Court meant anything to her. Um, they had, you know, gotten 
very, very, uh, you know, physical with each other. He intimate. Yeah. He bit her for the first time. Um, you know, and, and it's implied that a lot went on. I don't think that they had sex, but a lot went on in that hotel room and they got very close. And this perfect vulnerable moment where Hudson invites Grace to after they return back to the school to go to his room and spend the night. And she accepts the invitation and he's like, this is it. We're kind of sealing the deal. It all gets ruined by a little emo twat. Uh, an emo what? A little emo twat. 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 With an A. Yeah. Twat. Twat. It's twat. We, we say tw- just twat. Yeah, but Hudson would say twat. 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 Just so you know, and FYI, he would say twat. 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 He'd probably say wanker, if I'm <laughs> honest. And <laughs> you, know, you know the SpongeBob, like the memes where like every other letter is capitalized? Like, yeah, I, I put wines. Don't you fucking touch her, like, <laughs> bitch! I've been touching her all goddamn weekend. Where the hell have you been, Jackson? All freaking out. And Hudson really wasn't even touching her. He was like brushing a curl behind her ear. And Jackson jumps out of nowhere. Don't you fucking touch her! Like, shut up, Jackson. Jesus. Yeah, I mean, Hudson's never really given anybody any idea that he would be a bad boyfriend. That, like, you know, when you say that, don't you fucking touch her, that is when you know that somebody has hurt her or beaten her up that night. Right. Or um, is, like... D- like dating her only for a dare that was a few that was a few tropes back in the 90s wasn't it um yeah like the way that he says it it's like it's like he's not done anything to warrant that right for you to say don't touch her yeah and 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 jackson's seen hudson touch grace multiple times the birthday party like but at this point the birth <laughs> the birth at this point it's already established that they are i mean that they're kind of a couple now and and then mm-hmm. jackson just goes into this like hudson is kind of like brushing it off he's he's snarking back but jackson is just throwing the most immature gaslighting 101 comments like no one likes you no one wants to bring you back from the dead. You're better off dead, you little pansy-ass Brit boy. <laughs> I, I love how Hudson, when when Jackson says, no one likes you, and Hudson's like, nobody's going to like you either if you don't shut up. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, it's true. Um, uh, nobody likes it. A- apart from the people that read Crave and were really sad that Grace got with Hudson. Yeah, you know what? I was I was apprehensive, like at first, you know, just because we didn't know. But I was I I converted real quick because the, the the lack of chemistry with Jackson. I mean, he's he's a fine character, and I really do hope that he and Flint um, get the relationship that they deserve. Um, but I, I do not particularly care for jackson and grace's relationship and i never have there was no inward swell of music you know what i mean yeah it's like like you know like if you've ever watched a tv show where like it's that slow burn romance where they when they finally kiss you're like oh thank god oh my god that 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 was that was a a roller coaster a journey 
And then it's like with Jackson and her, it's just, it's very much like a meh. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you expect butterflies, but it's just like dust particles floating in the air. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, and then, and then my favorite, my favorite Hudson line that I still just, the, you just going to stand there like a cack handed bell. I, so do you do you have the term cack handed anywhere? No. <laughs> so cack handed means like wrong handed, like if you're holding a tool or a utensil incorrectly. So you can all you can hold a, like a pen cack handed, where like you hold it like with a fist or something. That, that's cack handed. How do you um, stand somewhere like a cack handed <laughs> bell? Well, a cack handed bell is you. Um, you can also hold the bell incorrectly but it's also that um <laughs> cat handed also means left-handed you it was just, a kind of a an insult none oh, of somebody, you're just gonna there. stand there like a left-handed bell no. N- yeah like as in useless you just what's the point in a left-handed bell they are made exactly the same as a right-handed one uh, it's like a left-handed screwdriver this i it's 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 it it's just a weird it was a weird it's a weird it's a weird phrase it's a but weird like insult. we say it to me like like uh you're just gonna stand like a chocolate teapot <laughs> that's stupid too yeah well a chocolate teapot is supposed to be stupid <laughs> it's supposed to be useless and like pointless you to pointless thing yeah so are you gonna kind of stand there like a chocolate teapot this was a collection of hudson being British. My favorite, my favorite was he was like, Captain Pouty Pants got his mad on. I was like, oh, that's the best line. Captain Pouty Pants is my favorite for Jackson. That's way better than Jaxy Waxy. Yeah. Pouty um, Pants. So Jackson and Hudson are are battling it out and it's kind of implied by Hudson that he's he's not really in much pain he's more annoyed because he can tell that Jackson is trying to like show a bit of dominance which you know that would that would be very frustrating when like your girl's standing there all your friends are standing there like that it was a he he assumed that it was an attempt for Jackson to just be an asshole um, but then Grace kind of gets in the way and is trying to talk to Jackson and talk to him all sweet. And this pisses Hudson off. Um, <laughs> he ends up throwing Jackson across the room, exploding the floor. And uh, Jackson falls into this hole in the ground and then, like, jumps out Edward Cullen style. Um, but then, Do you know, like, this, like the one person in that room that would be able to just go, dude, calm down and use his power just a little bit. Just a little bit, yeah. He do- but doesn't. Yeah, he's like, I don't want to have to do that. And I'm like, that would have been such a better solution than blowing a hole in the floor and... Yep. Embarrassing your girlfriend in front of all of her friends where, like, you know, where, like, the macho boyfriend is just beating up. Like, the, the werewolf fight was... At least, like, he was showing his hand of being so powerful that he didn't even need to throw punches. Yeah, and he was being ganged up on. Um, yeah, whereas this is just a petty fight about a girl. With brothers. And it's like, it was so unnecessary. And, like, they're just whipping their dicks out and measuring. 
really. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just, it, yeah, it's just silly. And unfortunately, the one person in that stupid fight that actually does something that's going to calm him down is unfortunately Grace with sabotage, subterfuge. Yeah, and the, you know, just I the first read through, I thought that she was just trying to distract Jackson so Hudson could like detain him. When Same. She, when she was like, like remember Jack- the Northern Lights? Remember? Rem- oh yeah, I remember. Remember, remember <laughs> the Northern Lights? Remember dancing? Yeah, yeah. It's like like trying to like distract him with nostalgia. Right, but no, she was actually like trying to connect with a part of him. I'm like, fuck them Northern Lights. How dare you, yeah. Grace? Poor Hudson that standing wasn't, that there. That wasn't even a great scene. I don't like. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Imagine if it was the other way around. Imagine, remember the washing machines? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Like, that instantly makes me smile. The Northern Lights just makes me roll my eyes. Oh, yeah. Well, it, it like, it wasn't, I mean, you know, you, I remember it being special because I, there's all like the fan art and stuff now, but if you actually reread it, they go up and then she says, we spent hours up there and then we finally came down and I'm like, wait, nothing even, there wasn't even just a danced for hours. <laughs> That's what she's, yeah. Like the, Floating. It, the, the whole scene can be summarized in like four sentences. They go up, she's scared for a minute. And then she says like something like, we spent hours up there and then we came down. You're like, okay. And then I was cold. Yeah. And then you bit me and exploded the glass. Yeah. Ah. And you know, this whole Jackson is like when when he finally tells her that, you know, he doesn't have a soul anymore. And um, she's like, well, what, what's going to happen? And he says, I'll be the monster. Everyone always said I'd be <laughs> like, I'm like, why do why do I, I put men in my notes? But it's not men. It's teenage boys. Why do teenage boys always do this? Like, I'll be the monster. Everyone says they're afraid of. Like, did you have that weird <laughs> kid yeah. in high school who always acted like Heath Ledger's Joker. Yeah, but I, I suppose in, in England we're a bit more watered down. I mean, we make great Bond villains, but <laughs> k- kids aren't as dramatic oh. as they are in America. Like, when we watch TV shows with, like, American high schools, we're just like, what the fuck? Yeah. It's wrong with you all. Man, we had... Are, are, you, are you actually like that? Oh, no, I don't. <laughs> I mean, the main scene that comes to my head is High School Musical, the status quo song. I ain't never fucking seen High School Musical. <laughs> oh, what is, what is, they're just like, um, they want to fit in with the crowd, but they actually really like baking. And they're like, no, no, you can't bake. He's like, but I really like to make souffle. And it's a part of a whole song. But he's like just dancing around. I'm like, why are these kids so extra? <laughs> Is this a thing? There's a there's always a few. There's always a few. There's always a few like characters that wa- go about their lives as if they are. It, it's that main character syndrome where yeah. they in their head. There's a whole universe that revolves around them, it, but in reality, everybody is looking at them like, "Dude, you need to just chill." Like I remember this. Kid. <laughs> we have we have, we have a, an acquaintance like that. He went to a wedding that we were at, and uh, he was one of the groomsmen, and. Um, my husband definitely described him as he thinks that he's a main character in his own story and we're all like sideline characters like, yeah he was like the the bride and groom let him stay at their house the week the week before the wedding because he lived somewhere else and um, they woke up in the morning and he had just left in the middle of the night 
Like he he didn't say goodbye. He didn't leave a note. He didn't text them or anything to let him know, like let them know that he was safe. He just he packed up and left. Yeah, because and they were like, well, but why? And he's like, oh, I just you know I, I couldn't sleep. Yeah, yeah, that's it's like what? That's you don't just do that. <laughs> that's main character syndrome. Like no, yeah. no, no real thought that anybody else like exists no. or that there's. You know, sometimes I look at my huds, my my Hudson, my husband. You did it. You did it. <laughs> I did it. Sometimes I look at my husband and I'll like, I have the ability to look at him and think there's a brain in there and it has its own <laughs> thoughts. Like, yeah, you know, and, and you forget that sometimes, especially since I've been with him for 13 years, but every once in a while, I just remember, I'm like, he's got his own little universe going on. He's up capable there. of sentient thought. Right. And I think that it's important for humans to occasionally remember that everyone around them is also a person with their own thoughts. And I think that we get so caught up in our own world sometimes, you know, everybody does it, but it's the people who never consider the fact that everyone around them is their own universe. Like, But also isn't thinking of that one person. I know a lot of people that think that the moment that they walk into the room, everybody's going to be judging them or looking at them. And I'm like, you have not made an impact on their life whatsoever. And that's like, and you can take that as a good thing or you can take that as a bad thing. But remember the last time you were sat in a coffee shop or um, you were sat in a, in a bar or something and that one person that walked in wearing that blue coat and you're like, no, and you go, exactly. They made no impact on your life. But I bet they walked into that bar going, oh, everybody's going to look at me because I didn't brush my hair. Right. It's like, no, we didn't. We didn't notice it because we don't care because we don't know who you are. That's, that's like... However, if somebody st- stands up from a coffee shop like table for no reason on their own just stands up puts their hands down on the table <laughs> goes i must take my leave and walk out then we would notice that person but not for good reason <laughs> right that's that's a, I, I always think about that when i t- when i'm like talking to f- like friends who want to get in the gym and they're like everyone's gonna look at me I, I don't know how to use the machines or i'm not happy with my weight i don't like how i look in in gym clothes i'm like dude nobody is looking at you because they're wor- focused on themselves nobody is sitting at the gym like <laughs> look at this look at this guy look at this guy not the knowing. reason they're in the gym is because they're also not happy with the way they they look right it's, it's they just have a higher expectation of themselves yeah yeah but so that that's the problem with jackson is he's got main character syndrome and he is not the main he, character if he had a cape story huh if he had if he had a cape he he would swing it around himself and it would billow oh yeah absolutely in, in a dramatic whiny fashion just like uh, and then he'd whoo, yeah and storm I must away. take my leave <laughs> so we get another great chapter um of jackson being a whiny little twat called Blood Brothers, where Hudson's like genuinely trying to form a connection with Jackson. He wants to take him out, get him in a new environment by taking him out on a run where he can kind of talk to him privately and and try to make up with him. Um, But when he gets to Jackson's room, Jackson is lifting weights in his tower because this is at this point, you know, all of his actual personality, that little personality that he used to have is completely gone and replaced by this very primal you know, version of himself. And of course he's listening to Lincoln Park, which do you like <laughs> I'm like what song? Crawling you- in my skin. skin. Yeah. I'm just imagine like Jackson pumping weights, just like zoning out to some Lincoln Park. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's like um, twice. Twi- <laughs> what I've done. <laughs> It's like Twilight, uh, when you read Twilight, Bella says that Edward, something about, or, no, something about listening no listening to violent music. Someone, or no, Edward says something about listening to violent music, and it turns out to be Linkin Park. I'm like, mm, I was thinking Cannibal Corpse, but, you know, Linkin Park, yeah, I guess. Yeah, but I mean, compared to Claire de Lune. Yeah, you right, you right. <laughs> Um, <laughs> he, he grew up with like orchestral symphonies. Yeah, <laughs> so violent. Yep. Um, <laughs> he grew up with banjos. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot he's American. Yeah, banjos only. Oh, banjos. We, we don't have American. We we don't have banjos. We 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 take the piss out of people who have banjos. <laughs> but, I, but yeah, it's not it's not we, a com- it's not a common thing here. If if so, if no, but see- I mean, it's not something like we were like oh we, we listen to like fiddle music we don't really have that either bluegrass yeah no we don't have that either yeah. unless we are trying to be unironically american-centric yeah a lot of people do listen to bluegrass here but anyway um so the whole point of this whole like interaction is that like for one hudson is looking at jackson's room and he walks over and he picks up the wooden horse that he carved for jackson um when he was a child, we we have have learned that Hudson had a mentor who taught him how to create how to create positive things. Was that in the Catmere Academy guide? I don't remember. Well, he basically Hudson has this power to destroy, and in one of the bonus books, I do believe it was Catmere Academy guide. Um, we learn that it's it's because Hudson had a mentor who was there to teach him how to create positive things. You know, even though Hudson is basically designed to destroy, um, and he created this little horse for Jackson that Jackson has carried around with him for all these years. Um, but Jackson immediately tells him, like, "Why are you picking that up?" Like, so Hudson sets it down and they leave. Um, but the entire time that they're trying to run, like Jackson is running ahead. He's not really concerned with talking and the whole time Hudson is just thinking about when Jackson was ripped away from him um and one line that stood out to me was that Cyrus was already locking me up at that point when he was talking about when Jackson was taken Jackson was taken when Hudson was 10 right Mm -hmm. so I'm like the whole thing that I, I won't say any spoilers but we learn about what that means the locking me up part in court and he started that when he was 10 like yeah he didn't have a great childhood and it does make me wonder whether the the same experience was had by jackson well if he was with the blood letter i mean she acted like she loved him i mean being in that cave was probably akin to being locked out she could she could have that power to change environments though like so maybe she was able to make it you know take him almost like v- vr <laughs> <laughs> she made she made it one of those bedrooms with like the underwater scene stickers yeah yeah <laughs> it's like the next next week you get dinosaurs and he's like <gasps> wow my life was I really so bad that, like, <laughs> I really hope, like, Baby Jackson enjoyed dinosaurs. I think he did. <laughs> <laughs> Dinosaur! That's why, he's into, that's why he's into dragons now. 
Yeah. He's... Meanwhile, Hudson likes diggers. <laughs> <laughs> I like the construction trucks. <laughs> um, but so they finally they finally talk, and and Jackson's being a little little asshole just like what you know what why does it matter if you want to have a relationship with me blah 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 and basically hudson kind of like lets him know i'm the one who made that horse for you do you not remember like he tells jackson like all these things that jackson would have forgotten because he was so young hudson remembered and jackson didn't realize that hudson had been there all along um and and then you know i had the question does jackson know that he was used as a tool against hudson because hudson said that cyrus dangled jackson like the idea of seeing jackson again in front of hudson's face like a carrot and I, i feel like if anything it was also used the other way around where Hudson was used as a tool against Jackson in terms of jealousy, mm-hmm. in terms of like superiority. That like that big brother syndrome was probably inflated in them. Like everything about the Vega family, and we we come to find out a little bit about um, Delilah in these chapters as well. Yeah. Um, but like we everything about the Vega family is about power. And if it was down to a power struggle and the two Vega brothers were kind of made as like progeny, uh, like where they have to be better than their parents in terms of powerfulness, like he, otherwise he wouldn't be training Hudson. Yeah. He doesn't see Hudson as a threat. He see, see, he sees him as a an extension of his power that if I have this son and he has this power, but he is under my thumb and my rule, therefore I have the power that he possesses. Yeah. Um, so he probably played them against each other. And I think Delilah did too, because Delilah's just as much of a, a power-hungry person as Cyrus. She just doesn't have that um like special power mm-hmm. so how like cyrus has the eternal bite um hudson has the um the two powers that he speaks of and then jackson has the earthquakey and also telekinesis like his mother probably felt very uh, alone outcast In- inferior very, very inferior yeah and also threatened by the fact that any one of her family could literally turn around and destroy her so i think she may have had to use that love connection between jackson and hudson to make her seem like the only one that was rooting for jackson yeah so that at least she'd have jackson on her side even when jackson goes to the um to britain to go to the vampire court like at no point does he think that his mum is full of shit. No, he, he comes back and he's like, like he, he, oh, this is what she said. And then that's it. It's, it's not like, a, yeah, she was full of a bullshit right. again. <clears throat> it was, this was what she said. And I think that there's a hidden meaning behind it. It's like, well, no, she was playing you again. Yeah. She, and he only talks to her. He never says, like, I talked to Cyrus and Delilah. It feels very much like he took his mom aside and spoke yes. to her privately. Yes, and the fact that the chapters that we literally just read, Cyrus bit Jackson, knowing what it would do. And I'm pretty sure that Delilah was in that fight as well. Yeah, and nobody gave a shit about, like, their child. No. 
No, and and if she really truly was like was that mother that had that revered child that Jackson was her favorite or Hudson was her favorite because all of a sudden we also have that issue of a Hudson was her favorite and when Jackson killed him, she then maimed her son. Like I think we keep forgetting that Delilah is a bitch. Oh yeah. And I really truly think that not just the the violence that she had and also the the disregard for the fact that she was just willing to use her son and let her husband bite him and all of that like i also think that she probably did a lot of manipulation through his childhood about hudson yeah cuz he seems to have a lot of like indoctrinated like propaganda about hudson yeah and, and it had to come from somewhere right it it i mean it's it's very obvious that he hates his brother but they haven't seen each other in a hundred years so where did all that hate even come from mm-hmm. he just naturally assumes that his brother is exactly like everything, Cyrus. every yeah everything that everyone has ever said yeah. the thing is like they said that this is what hudson was doing during the war that he was trying to make new like maid vamps and stuff like that at no point did Jackson give him the benefit of the doubt. At no point did he like treat him as if he was a brother and that he'd never he'd never really cared for him in a way of a sibling. He just immediately went you you're you're just as bad as my dad, but never thought that his mum might be included in it. Right. Like his mum was just like a a an innocent party in all of this. I think that Cyrus is so evil that Delilah is able to kind of hide in his shadow while still reaping the benefits of his power. Yes, it's definitely Game of Thrones-y. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, whilst you're doing that and you're making a big hoo-ha over there, I'm going to do some, like, little tiny cloak and dagger things over here that are equally as damaging, just nobody knows that it was me. Yeah. Yeah, and I unfortunately, it, I think it, it did mean that the brothers were never going to fully be brothers, and I don't think they ever will because th- there's nothing that will take away that 100 years of propaganda, really. Yeah, you can make up, but you'll never forget, you know. And you'll never trust each other fully, right? It's just like you, like yes, at no point do they really trust each other in the book. At all. No, they always stay, even even after everything is somewhat resolved, they're all they're still not great with each other. They're not like best friends ever. Like brothers. Which is completely understandable. Yeah. I just I feel like Hudson is at least the one that's trying. And I think that unfortunately that is only down to age that he has more fond memories of Jackson than Jackson has of him because he was around at an age where he was at least able to retain memories. Yeah. Which is just sad. <laughs> Poor little Jaxie Waxy. Poor Jaxie Waxy. He never had a chance in hell of making normal relationships when the one relationship that he had that was normal got taken away from him. The only one that he had was the blood letter, and she's not a normal person at all in any way, shape, or form. Hudson at least had this um, this teacher to kind of form an attachment to yeah so but jackson was kind of completely on on his with a psychopath like we we know that the blood letter is mental yeah and she's been locked up for forever like what can that do to somebody you know 
Well, en- enough for her to sign him up to a mating bond that he didn't ask for or could get out of without ripping his soul out. So yeah. Eh. So Isn't, she's not really a great protector. <laughs> no. So let's move on to the vampire court bonus chapters. Um, we'll have to kind of speed through them if you've got to do a hard stop in an hour. Um, <laughs> so I do have a spoiler for this one as well. Okay. So this one is probably the one that was the saddest out of all of these. Uh, the first chapter for the vampire court bonus chapters was Love You Goodbye. And this t- takes place after the fight in the hallway in the standard mm-hmm. edition where... And after the burning of the poem. Yeah. So in the uh, in the standard edition that, that you all should have access to... Um, we get Hudson's perspective of the fight between him and Jackson after the dragon court. Grace was supposed to go back to his room with him, but she opts to, you know, stand and, and baby Jackson for a minute. And Hudson just decides to leave and he goes to his room and he starts trying to read, but he realizes that he's reading the poem book that he had given to Grace um on her birthday so he just starts ripping pages out of it and burning it and then this chapter takes place like right after he has finished burning the poem book and he just starts picking up axes from his axe throwing and turns on breaking benjamin and just starts like (laughs) just an entire mood (laughs) yeah it is a whole move and and that was like my little note i was like i will live for this scene if movies are made because this is so sad yeah there's like a really like really sad sentence where he basically he puts the feelings that he's currently feeling which is all very very normal feelings to have after your girlfriend is literally gone that's okay i'm gonna look after your brother instead um like he's saying like that his feelings are pathetic and intolerable and it's like oh that's like means that his feelings were never ever validated by anybody like he's not allowed to feel those feelings yeah um, he's always taking care of everybody else um and it, yeah, it just made me feel really sad that he was like feeling those feelings and it's okay to feel those feelings so he was already upset but the fact that he then took those feelings and went these should not exist and if they do that makes me as bad as my brother for feeling yeah and, oh, and, poor baby boy and even even in the standard edition he's like it is what it is like this this is fine this is fine this it this is I always knew it was going to be like this, which I think is a very common male response where they convince themselves, like, this is fine. Like, I can get through this. It's no biggie. I knew it was going to end in heartbreak. Right. Like, I should I should have known. Like, I, I predicted this. But there was one yeah. line where, because he turns and realizes that Grace has been standing there watching him and she's looking at him all sad. But in his head, he's screaming, like, what about me? Like, And I think that this is really important because he never says that out loud, but he's thinking, like, what about me? What about how I feel? And I think Mm -hmm. that out of the entire series, this is the most important line because in any other, like, romance book, YA especially, you're always very hung up in what the female is going through and her emotional pain and what's hurting her. But you totally invalidate how the male in the story is feeling and 
everybody just always assumes that the male character is the strong one and that they're going to be okay. But this is the one point where Hudson has the opportunity to like even like tell the readers, what about how yeah. I'm feeling? Why aren't my feelings valid right now? Yeah, like why do you have to keep poking the bear? Right, like why? Why? Like he he was mad, wasn't he? That she turned up, and he was like, "Why? Why do you enjoy torturing me? You've already hurt me. Like, why do you need to come back and almost rub it in my face?" Yeah, he. But then he realizes that he needs to like just channel that back in, and he turns around. He takes a big deep breath, and he's like, "Okay, it's not how I feel. I know that Grace is hurt, and she is upset, and that is the worst thing for me. That is worse than what I'm feeling." And again, he puts his own feelings below hers. Yeah. And the there is a part where he says, like, everywhere in his room, like, she haunts the rest of my room because they've spent time everywhere other than his bed. And she's trying to basically, you know, get him into the bed for, like, this kind of emotional, like, makeup, make out. I don't know what happens. She takes her clothes off. I I know that. I don't know if they have sex or what. No, because I don't think I don't think that they ever have sex in covet. But either way, they go in and lay in his in his bed. But he like almost doesn't want to tarnish his bed. His thought is like everything in my room. I'm gonna think about her when I see it. And my bed is my one safe place. And, and mm-hmm. I think that this is another really relatable feeling because. Like, rooms absolutely change for me based on the moments that I've spent in them. And it's almost like it takes time for that room to recover. And and it's weird. Even when you and uh, Scott were here in the U.S. visiting and you stayed in my basement, like, it took days for me to not see the basement as the space that you occupied. Like, it it remained, (laughs) it almost remained like your space, uh, and mentally, it took me a few days to reclaim that space as my space. Um, yeah. it, it looked different to me, even though it was the same. And that's just how spaces exist in my mind when I've had a good memory or a bad memory. Um, so I don't know if that's something that, I, that a lot of people have experienced or if I'm just weird. <laughs> I think for me, it has to be a quite significant event yeah uh but yeah i can i can see that every a, a memory of something happening in a room is more sentimental than the room itself yeah yeah um, um my my note was that that desperation of just being with each other ripping each other's clothes off like there he was like there was a fire like she was burning into every hole and then it like suddenly switches and and then all of a sudden she's like a cooling balm of water i think he says and i was like yeah like that moment of just like pure wild frenzy and lust and love and then it actually turns into a more caring and and tender moment because they're not doing it um because they need each other in that way they're doing it as comfort for each other that that they're seeking those that that moment that intimacy with each other because it's not like oh this is the last time this better we better get it over quickly um because I, I i'm craving it it's uh i want to make this moment last because you're my mate and i love you and, and i wanted i wanted everything for us but now that's not going to happen so let's not drag it out but let's take every moment that we can 
And uh, yeah, it made me feel really just like, oh, like, you know, when you've got that like last spoonful of dessert. Yeah. And like, oh. Like, I know that it will be gone if I eat it. I still want to eat it, but I'm just going to really savor it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then it's it's so much worse that he pretends to be asleep when Grace, like, gets dressed and yeah. slips out of his room. And she leaves a <clears throat> note, but we never learn what that note said. <laughs> what, burb, be right back. BRB. <laughs> just something really, like, we, we were expecting it to be really poignant. And <laughs> it was just BRB. <laughs> just the like, offer shit. Had to be. <laughs> <laughs> BRB had to pee. Sorry, destroyed your toilet. Couldn't find a toilet brush. <laughs> Couldn't find a plunger. So your spoiler, I think that you could share this spoiler in a way that doesn't ruin. I mean, it's not like it's not like anything that ruins the story. It's kind of something that's been hinted at multiple times through Covet anyway. Okay. Um. So, yeah. I mean, if for any reason you guys like absolutely don't want anything from court ruined, then I mean, you might have to bounce out. But it's it's not like a world ending spoiler. Just go la 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 for twenty seconds. Okay. This is a quick one. Um, so there's a sentence that says, agony rips through me, shreds me to pieces without spilling a drop of blood. And it, it made me think, like, was he trying to poof himself out of his misery? Like, he was teetering on the edge, um, but then clawed himself back again to be, more, like, more active about it. You know when you, like, y- you think about doing something stupid, but you know that that logical part of your brain will always manage to go, no, that's stupid. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like that was probably the mood that he was currently in, where he was like, I've got nothing. I've got nothing left. What is the point? Um, and was feeling so down about himself um, that I was wondering whether he was talking about this agony ripping him to shreds as being a, a physical act, that he was literally pulling himself apart. Yeah. And then he he held um, himself together for that, like... Because that's when Grace suddenly turns up again, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Can you imagine that she, like, comes out, like, 20, 20 seconds earlier and sees that happening? She'd be like, <gasps> what are you doing? You can do that? Where do you go? All those questions. I, I mean, if he just poofed. I, I'm imagining, like, he poofs in, like, dust. Like, just... <laughs> yeah. Like a magic trick. <laughs> yeah. Makes that sound too. Boop. Um, so this bonus chapter, we get the backstory between uh, how Delilah and Cyrus came to be. And it was a very traditional marrying my daughter off to some mysterious, royal, powerful stranger story. Um, and it happens to just work out in any way. Yeah. <laughs> she she uh, She's very nervous, but then when she finally sees Cyrus, she says, I pretend not to see the shadow of cruelty lurking in the cobalt depths of his eyes. And I was like, you know, she's the way she's describing it, like up until this point, we're seeing Cyrus as like this, you know, this evil, older male figure. And, you know, I'm just like, well, you know, maybe I would. Maybe he's maybe 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 she had a maybe she had a valid point there if he was standing there staring at her this handsome man with a shadow of cruelty lurking in the depths of his eyes I might mm. I might stick around yeah just be like a little bit intrigued like what kind of cruelty are we talking about yeah 
I'm, I'm <laughs> game for a little, you know, just a little. Like, you mean, you, I mean, as a vampire, you've got to have some kind of darkness in you. Otherwise, you're not really able to do the very thing that keeps you alive. Right. There's got to be a little bit there. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, my note was like, who the hell are Muriel and Sabina? Like, are they important? Because they're like named, they were named in this chapter as two very gorgeous, stunning women stood behind Cyrus, which makes me think that they may be his sisters. I saw them more as uh, Sarah Dwin. What are their names? Sarah <laughs> Dwin and um, the two wraiths in A Court of Thorns oh, and Roses. Oh, like handmaidens. I, I think that he, because he's so powerful and so up his own ass, that if he's going to have anybody tending to him, that Said he would... bathe me. Right, he would choose the two most attractive women that he could have as servants. So, because he only wants to be served by beautiful women. I, that That's uh, why, what I assumed. Yeah, I was kind of hoping, like, ooh, are, are we going to meet these creepy, scary aunties in the future? But if you think they're handmaidens, it's possible. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I that's what I gathered. Um, so there's a there's a moment where she says, "The moments our eyes meet, he became just Cyrus to me. The first touch of my hand to his arm sends heat blazing through me." Um, and apparently that like. She was thinking that she was scared, but then all of a sudden she touched him and then heat blazed. It wasn't like a, a we touched and then I get that like little minge twinge. Um, <laughs> minge made twinge. me think of made it, <laughs> it made me think like was that the mating bond? Because they are mated, aren't they? They are. Yeah, I think so. Bonded. It was. It's very similar. Um, we. I won't say who, but there's a, a mating bond story in a special one of the special editions of Court, and it's a very similar description when a, a, another mating bond gets snapped into place. So I think that that is their mating bond. Yeah, because the way that she is like, as soon as our eyes met, he just was like, "Yep, yeah, this is Cyrus." It wasn't. Uh, um, can I call him Cyrus? We're supposed to be husband and wife, so therefore I should be able to call him that. But there was still that fear. She was like, no, he's Cyrus. That was all he is and ever will be is Cyrus to me. Yeah. Um, it was a very odd way of introducing him. I said I said this chapter defined in four words, scared but kind of horny. <laughs> like that's, that's Delilah in yeah. a nutshell. She's scared yeah. but kind of horny. Um, I, I finished off your final note. Oh, I see that. Yeah, I said I'd be cool with an adult spinoff of Cyrus and Delilah's early relationship and maybe some of the abuse that took place. I think that it would need to be an adult version, not YA, um, but maybe like 50. them bringing up the boys and um, maybe like a little bit more backstory on the abuse that took place like in the household. Um, mm hmm. Because, you know, we got a lot of, like, Hudson and Jackson apparently played, like, hide-and-go-seek and stuff, and, and it would piss off Cyrus. I think that seeing some of that would be... But, like, also, how long was their relationship before they had the children yeah. as well? Um, because in this, they seem to be quite young, um, and it also seemed to be quite old style. Like, the way that they were, like, written in their finery and things like that. Uh, walking up to a castle and things like that, and I'm wondering whether... It was actually set a long, long time ago because Cyrus himself is over a thousand years old. Yeah. Because he was the one that got rid of the gargoyles. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm just, I'm kind of wondering like how much of their relationship was had before the children and maybe the children were the one that ruined it. 
possibly because I mean this was kind of hot like this it was oh yeah and like I said like hashtag smart I was like with this chapter alone I'd be into Rossi's hussy I'd be into it I would be into being Rossi's hussy because yeah like just the way that he was like threatening the bite I was like oof yes um but at the same time I feel like it was very like Fifty Shades esque, where he was like, hey, "Yeah, you you you'd like to see what I can do." And then the girl's like, "Mm-hmm, sure, go on then." And then because she wasn't scared of him, he was like, "Oh, I, I feel broken. I don't know what to do here. I'm, I'm a little bit flabbergasted. I don't really know what to do here." Yeah, he he met his match, like, mm-hmm. which you know that's yeah. always a, a good and terrifying power combo. Yeah. Um. So, moving on to the Dragon Court bonus chapters, I I think that these, I don't know, I really love the last set of chapters, but I also really love this first chapter called Dark Before the Dawn. Um, Flint and Grace wake up super duper early uh, the morning after their little, you know, they're fun at the dragon court. They're still there, but after, you know, because Flint and Luca had retreated to their room and Hudson and Grace retreated to their room and there was all kind of sexy going on. But the next morning, uh, Flint and Grace meet up together in the hallway because Flint wants to take Grace out to watch the sunrise and formally apologize for everything that has, you know, took place in Crave where he basically tried to kill her. He has apologized before, but he really wanted to create a meaningful apology so that she would completely lose this nervousness that she has had around him, which I think is a great turning point, especially since the very next uh, big scenes we have are in the prison where they have to kind of work together and be close and there can't be any lack of trust. Um, Mm -hmm. But what I really love is that we get Flint's perspective here. We see, um, you know, him and Luca that those really sweet moments with them. And um, Flint says he was supposed to be my rebound guy. And I I was just like, man, ain't that how it always goes? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So when, when you've like definitely dated somebody who is completely opposite to what the person that you you really wanted yeah. or were dating for so long, but you would choose the complete opposite. And I'm like, dude, you didn't choose the complete opposite. You chose a vampire. You chose one in the order. <laughs> yeah. However, the way that he describes um, Luca in bed was very much like warmth and the sun and things like that, whereas Jackson's very cold and moon-like. That's true. Like, I'm, I'm, and maybe it's just because I get the impression, like, Luca, he's clearly, like, Latino, right? Is that, is that the vibe that we're getting? Yeah, that's the way, the, the one that I'm getting. Yeah, I'm assuming. And I think that they say he has an accent in uh, Crave. I think that they refer to him rolling his arm, or his R's and having a very uh, strong accent. So that's kind of how I've always pictured him. But yeah, we get we get a really sweet moment of Luca, like not wanting Flint to leave and wanting to stay in bed for a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. And Flint really accepting like, you know, this is my future, which just makes <laughs> it all the more sad. Yeah. And using sexual favors as an excuse to leave like no 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 if you let me go now we can do anything you want he's like anything he's like anything you want (laughs) (laughs) okay then yeah um so he and 
Grace meet up in the hallway and Grace has no idea like what they're doing. She just, she just knows that he texted her and wanted to meet. Yeah. Before sunrise. And the, and the way that he describes meeting her, he said that she appears looking much like I do. Grace has got like to get better at covering up her post-sex googly eyes. Yes. Apparently it's, it's like, it's a doozy. I'm imagining like her makeup all streaked down her face and you know, when like you've put like your hair in a pony, but then it just, it's been pulled a bit. It's all they're, they're definitely, they're, he's definitely a pull her. He's definitely a hair puller. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I'm just imagining her like, what are we doing? And he's like, we're going out. And she's like, oh, no, I look a mess. <laughs> but I also don't care because I'm powered by penis right now. Powered by penis. Yeah, she's yep, that's how I get all my work done. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, she was like, nothing's even open right now. And he's like, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And she thanks him for like the night that they had last night. Mm hmm. Gushes about everything that she learned and got shown. And I'm like, once again, for those in the back, where the fuck are those golden tricks? Yeah. <laughs> this cool... <laughs> we had, like, this, this intricate... guard of dragon. Yeah, this intricate God. display of these golden dragons that Eden wants to join someday. And they, like, shoot down the, the floating, you know, street above New York City. And they make a big deal about these golden drakes. And then we never hear anything about them again. But... <laughs> Um, so Flint, Flint grabs, uh, you know, they, they're leaving the dragon court and they pass this like bakery or this coffee shop and, uh, it's closed, but the person apparently knows Flint and leaves out coffee and pastries for him. Um, and I was just like, you know, if you give me coffee and pastries, I'll, t I'll go anywhere with you. I'll follow you, whatever. Yep. Um, me too. I'm going anywhere for caffeine and food. Oh yeah, Absolutely. Um, yep. so they go to like this, this, um, dock and sit and watch the sunrise and Grace is like, you know, wow, this is beautiful. Thanks for showing me. And Flint's like, well, that's not the only thing that I wanted to bring you out here for. And then he want, he says, you know, I want to start over. Um, and they shake hands and like, almost like pretend that they are, they're meeting again, for the first time so that they can have a fresh start. And I said, this is how you apologize. You change the setting. If you ever need to have a hard talk with somebody, especially somebody who doesn't normally listen to hard talks, which which Grace does, but if you want to really get through to someone, always change the setting. Say, hey, uh, can we go take a walk? Or, hey, can you meet me like at a coffee shop, when you change the setting, it gets the person's ears perked up and it makes them receptive to whatever you're going to say next. Whereas if you just walked up to them while they're sitting like, you know, at a at their desk where they always sit or on the couch and you start mm -hmm. spilling your guts out, you haven't changed the setting and they're not in listening mode. Yeah, and you definitely have to put yourself as the vulnerable person to be the one that's actually completely okay with the idea that your your apology may get refused that that actually saying sorry it isn't a fix all that that other person just could be like sorry not acceptable i i don't accept your your apology and you go okay i i understand and so they go, no that's not right i came to you saying sorry and all of a sudden you've removed all that power <laughs> Um, and then uh, there is another kind of great little analogy to go for for an apology is that anything following the word I'm sorry immediately 
removes the apology. So I'm sorry, but. No buts. I'm sorry that. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Yeah. Just say, I'm sorry. Full stop. Yeah. So next one is uh, Slight of Wing, which was. And it's my favorite. Yeah. Aiden meeting Nuri. And we really get to see like Flint's parents and their, for, for one, how funny they are. And for two, where Flint's personality comes from. So um, this in this story, Aiden is going to this kind of royal Egyptian wedding um, and he decides to buy some clothing, you know, of the the local culture. He buys frippery. Yeah, yeah. We they he wants frippery. To, yeah. <laughs> he so he wants to, you know, he says something about the local customs. We don't know what the year is, but I'm getting that it's, you know, 1962. Yeah, it's 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 old full of frippery. Old old time timey <laughs> Egypt. Um so he's in this little changing tent and suddenly a woman just like dives under the the tent and is standing in there with him while he's half naked. And no standing. She's kneeling. Yeah, kneeling in front of, in front of his naked <laughs> body. And he's like, who the hell is this? And then he realizes that it's the princess who is about to be wed. And she's like, you got to get me out of here. <laughs> <laughs> like, yep. Um, so she kind of cons him. She says that if he doesn't help her escape, that they will, and they find her in there with him, the guards, um, that they will castrate him and cover him in honey and leave him in the desert. (laughs) So (laughs) she very much manipulates him into, um, helping her escape so she doesn't have to marry, uh, whoever she's lined up to marry. And he does. He takes her and slips her out without anyone noticing. And um, she turns into a dragon and they fly away together. So mm-hmm. um, when we get introduced to this story, Aiden first starts introducing all of these courts, the court that he, that the um, the prince that Nuri's supposed to be marrying is from the Crimson Court. And he says something about an Amarantha court, and he's from the Viridian court. All these, these are all Pokemon gems. They are all all Pokemon gems. He's naming off all, all of them, all these different courts. So I wonder if those will ever take. <laughs> will they ever? <laughs> Lieutenant Surge is at one. <laughs> <laughs> will these ever play in later? Who knows? Um, but I don't know. I did notice that. Nuri had a lot of Egyptian artifacts that Grace had noticed in her office when Grace was at the Dragon Court. And now that mm-hmm. kind of makes sense uh, that Nuri, she, she's Egyptian, apparently, though she has a strong English accent. So well, No, it says that it was perfectly accented English. Not her English accent was perfect. Oh, OK. OK. So the way it sounded was that it was it was perfect English, but it was accented. Got it. And then, and then when she got angry... Um, she said her accent got stronger and it was obvious by the way that like she didn't uh, what's the word um, like she didn't shorten words to isn't or anything she said it is not yes. and I'm thinking that like that's the way that if you aren't a native English speaker you kind of you slow down right. your words to try and get what you are actually saying out <laughs> she she Aiden said that she that she pronounced something in the most persnickety English she could manage, 
And I was just like, Amber, say something in the most persnickety English you can manage. Oh, just like something that's really um, stupidly picky. Like there is, there is absolutely no reason why that you would you pick up on it. Show, it's like, sh- I went, show don't tell. I tell me, t- tell me something persnickety <clears throat> style. So I went to um, I went to Starbucks the other day and I asked for a cup of tea and and, and uh, the naturally you'd think that they would give you a honey and lemon, but instead they gave me milk and sugars. The absolute peasants. <laughs> That very persnickety, very persnickety. 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 And then we got another fun vocabulary word. Frippery. Frippery. Yep. That- which is which is like clothing or furniture or language that is dripping in finesse. The local frippery. 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 Yeah. Um, Aiden, Aiden <clears throat> is trying to convinced nuri he's like you're i am supposed to be attending your wedding in about 30 minutes which i don't think is going to happen and she was telling him like why she doesn't want to marry this guy and her reason is he is smelly and his dragon is ugly and i was like you know what good reason chick (laughs) (laughs) smelly and his dragon is ugly yeah, which makes me think like she's definitely not English is the way that that though is said because I think as a princess that so far she's not been particularly like uppity about the way she says things. So her saying he is smelly and his dragon is ugly it genuinely might be the only way that she can actually say to somebody the reasonings. It's she's not like making stuff up like a child like he is smelly and his dragon is ugly. <laughs> It, I think it's like sometimes the <laughs> the non-native speakers just have to simplify things down to the, the the smallest detail, and it's like, no, he is smelly, and his dragon is ugly. <laughs> I mean, that is all I can say. G- good on you, girl. Like, I I don't want yeah. no smelly, ugly. Yeah, I got I I understand that. Um, but what were the repercussions of this in the long term? Aiden stole a princess on her wedding day. But when I, I'm assuming <laughs> a time period when that would be very frowned upon. Yep. Like, did anything happen? Like unmarried woman. Yeah. Just running off with her in in Egypt. We need a whole. We need a book about them too. Yeah. I'm down for it. Yeah. Um, and I, I did make that. I was like, so like, are these like slightly sexualized towards the dragons as well? Because he totally fell for her only when she transformed. Um, and she also ran away from her husband to be because his dragon was ugly, which makes me think that they fall in love with both the dragon and the person. <laughs> I don't know, man. If you, what if you were lined up to marry, like you, you were, you could transform into a dragon and you were lined up to marry somebody who could also transform into a dragon. But when they did, they looked like, like the dragon meatball from how to train your dragon. That little, <laughs> the little fat one that looks like a bulldog. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Do you, do you think that they have sex when they're dragons as well? I don't know. Maybe that's how, I mean, maybe the, eggs maybe they can because like when 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 um flint is his dragon he still has the same cheekiness and like character i don't know so i mean maybe it's like imagine if you're like being really flirty as your dragon and then you're like i can't be bothered to transform maybe it's optional (laughs) (laughs) It's it's an option yeah um all right so we should be able are you good to blast through the witch's court bonus chapters 
Yes. Okay. And then and then Amber has to go because she's stolen a truck. Um, <laughs> she's stolen a no other no other details. <laughs> just leave it at that. No context. Yep. Um, <laughs> so the first bonus chapter in Witch's Court is called "It's All in the Cards," and Macy has to do a uh, project where she records doing a tarot reading because originally when she did the project, Xavier had just passed away, and apparently this is the, like the most asshole teacher ever. So she wants to resubmit the project because I guess she wasn't happy with her performance in the last one. Um, so she kind of cons Grace, who doesn't want to do it because Grace doesn't want to know her future, but Macy begs and finally Grace says, okay. But as Macy starts reading Grace's cards, they're all bad. Um, and then Macy just is like, you know what? I don't want to do it anymore. And Grace <sighs> is finally just like, uh, no, wait, why? Tell me. And Macy really doesn't go into the detail of explaining the cards to Grace. She really doesn't want her to know. And she just kind of uses that as a prediction to say, like, the next few months are going to be really hard, which they are because it leads into um, Grace going to prison and into the events of um, court. So uh, I did look up all of the cards, but. We'll we'll get into that a second. I, I want to start by saying that Macy isn't as sweet and innocent as she makes herself out to be. She's been weaponizing this like cute little character the whole time. She is fully aware of what she is doing to Grace. Yep. Yep. Like, not that not that Loki. I blame her. <laughs> she's a she's a brat. She is Loki brat. Um, but then, do you do you think that like doctors do this practice on each other? They're like, oh no 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 no, like take take my blood pressure, like practice on me, practice on me, and then they do, and the doctor's like, you're fine. <laughs> and it's really bad, but actually they're dying. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's like uh, no, I actually I don't like to play this game anymore. I, I think I've had enough practice because they've like just taken their pulse and they're like <laughs> dead. <laughs> assuming that it's different for doctors i think that there's an obligation there to to disclose <laughs> nah nah yeah mason no nah, it's, it's eking out the competition oh yeah there you go <laughs> to let, letting your fellow doctors know that they have a heart condition <laughs> like well just not disclose that part yeah um so macy's just begging she's like please grace please and then out of out of nowhere right when she lays out the card she's like uh no i don't want to like yeah wow macy could you be any more discreet she's like I, I i've got it. i just remembered i have another project i need to do um so the cards that um that she got were um i can't remember what the first one was but it was it represented sacrifice which mm -hmm. I assume was Grace going to prison on behalf of Hudson. Um, the next card was the Tower, which is danger, crisis, or sudden change. And no spoilers, but could that have been... There is a Tower where there is a bit of danger and crisis and sudden change that takes place in Charm. There is. Could that be a prediction? I mean, because technically what happened in Charm would have already happened, but... I don't know. Um, yeah. The uh, reversed emperor is some kind of power struggle or a fight for dominance when it comes to love and relationships. So that's obvious. Doozy. The fight for dominance between like Jackson and Hudson in Grace's heart. 
right? Yep. Uh, reverse Wheel of Fortune, which is misfortunes have been following you. Again, that one's pretty... Glow. Yeah, self-explanatory. <laughs> and uh, Three of Swords, there is blocked grief stored in the person's heart. So maybe like Grace's which, which does come out. Which does come out because she she's talking about how she wishes this, that that last few months of knowing her parents had gone differently. And it does come out in court that that grief. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. So she is kind and of then she, and she comes out of it feeling like she's gone through therapy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which I, not... Like it has the opposite effect. Right, not a substitute for therapy. Um, no, don't, don't do that for therapy because that lady was crazy. Yeah, you need to, you need to make sure that you're actually getting help if you need help. Um, <laughs> yeah. But that was pretty much it. That's, it was a quick chapter. However... Out of all of these, I think that the most significant in terms of information, and if you guys ever have the option to purchase these books, I would recommend getting The Witch's Court just for this chapter. It was called Do You Believe in Magic? And this is a telling from Grace's mom's perspective on the road um, to the Redwoods with little uh, 11-year-old Grace in the back seat getting excited to go to the Redwoods. So... Um, Grace's mom and dad drive her to the forest and, you know, we get a little bit of an explanation about how um, Grace came to be the story that we heard from the blood letter about how um, the witch's coven had come to them for a gargoyle and in exchange the blood letter had said, well, I will do this, but we it must be determined that this gargoyle will be mated to my Jackson. Um, so we, we learn about that and when they arrive at the Redwoods, little Grace is super duper excited. She's walking around, talking to all of the trees. But then out of nowhere, she like flies up in the air and creates a bunch of flowers out of nothing. Um, just a bunch of flowers bloom. And that's when Grace's parents realize, oh no, she is magical after all, because they've thought all this time that she wasn't magical. Yeah. So, um, first of all, uh, their names are uh, Aria and uh, Cillian. Cillian. So I'm just saying those sounds like those sound like magical names. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> those aren't. Na- yeah, there's not very many people with those names. No, those those are those are Harry Potter names. Those are magic names. Those are British names. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, yeah, magic only comes from Britain. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's like there's a whole article on BuzzFeed on things that Americans thought were magic, but they're just British. Yeah. And I was, yeah. The houses. Treacle, treacle houses. tarts. I was like, oh, those are magic. <laughs> Never heard of that. The little, like, tr- the little trolleys on the train. Yeah. You didn't. <laughs> Ma- magic. Only in Harry Potter. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there was a line that stood out to me. Her mom said um, that she was looking out the window as they were, you know, going up the coast of California, waiting, like, to see the Redwood Forest. And it was almost as if, um, she was willing the forest to just like exist because they weren't there yet. It's like she was trying to will the trees into existence in the distance. And she said it wouldn't be the first thing she's willed into being just by sheer grit alone. And I don't know if this Ooh. is, is it because she's performed magic in the past or is it just because like Grace <sighs> is an artist and she is good at like generating beauty from nothing because she's just talented? Maybe both. But also, wouldn't that also explain 
many things that happen whilst she's in her gargoyle. You're right. There are a lot of things that she... She's just like, no, this exists. And she has no idea like that she was the one that did it. That's true. That's and true. And everybody else is like, no, you must have made this. And she's like, nope. No, I didn't. Did not. Nope. Yeah. Very interesting. That's that's an Easter egg kind of buried in there that I didn't notice. Um, but it also might just be a really like throwaway statement that a parent makes. Yeah. And actually they're talking about her like pasta shape pictures. Yeah, we might be making it fit the mold, but I say it's canon <laughs> if the shoe fits. She just sat there with her penne pasta making face. Yes. <laughs> um, there's another line in here where her mom says you know and thank god we didn't get what we asked for 11 years ago in reference to them wanting to create a gargoyle going to the blood letter and the blood letter making the the pact that you know that their daughter would be mated to jackson um so this implies that grace's parents were that coven of witches who asked to create a gargoyle to bring balance to the world but if that's the case, if this was a coven of witches, what was Grace's mother? Because Grace's mother, we've heard, is not a witch. So it's not a her dad wouldn't just be wouldn't be considered a coven, I wouldn't think. And no. And another thing is that Grace is still a child. So when she said, and thank God we didn't get what we asked for eleven years ago, they wouldn't have any idea at this point if she would be mated to Jackson someday, because he would he would be a teenager right now, but Grace is still is eleven. Yeah. So I mean, did did they ever ask who it was going to be? Like, did, like surely, if you if you had decided that yes, you were going to sign over your firstborn to be mated to somebody, wouldn't the first question be to who? I would assume that they knew because at that point the blood letter had Jackson in her care, and I just imagine like this little like adolescent boy and and the blood letter being like, "This is my Jackson." Like, because mm. if I was her parent, I would be either very, very concerned about the fact that clearly that child is not normal. Um, he he may have many narcissistic tendencies, kind of like his father. Right. But also I would maybe be teaching my daughter how to combat those. <laughs> yeah. Rather than, but instead, they're kind of not—they're not preparing her for anything. They're kind of keeping everything hidden, and as if she can't do anything, and she's totally normal. Yeah, it's almost like they've they run with her and and assume that this is never a problem that they're going to have to deal with as long as they hide her from it. But it's, which is really stupid, considering how many people are so careful about making deals. Like they know that once it happens, you can't get out of it. Yeah. Um, it makes me wonder whether Grace's mum has a tattoo somewhere. Oh, like and Grace just and Grace just thinks, oh, like yeah, my mum's got like a Tinkerbell tattoo on the back. We're like, low. <laughs> but actually, that was a deal. I would if I if I made a deal with somebody and the tattoo that magically appeared on my body was a Tinkerbell, I would be so pissed. You would do anything to get rid of the tattoo, I would. which is fulfilling the deal. Yeah, I would. I would do the deal. You'd be marrying your two-year-old. Like, <laughs> get married now. No more. T- no Tinkerbell. Sorry, I don't want no Tinkerbell <laughs> tattoo. Um, so we get the first little um, instance of of Grace actually joking with her dad, which she says that her dad used to love like the cheesy jokes in Crave, and that's why her and Jackson 
you know, start telling the cheesy jokes. Um, mm-hmm. But then her dad tells her a cheesy joke and she's just like, ah, dad. But it, it just kind of shows that she and, you know, she kind of inherited that from her father and it it makes it it makes it a little sad. Yeah. Um, she also when they get to the forest, she walks around and is just kind of talking to all the trees which later in covet obviously she has several little magical moments where she's able to kind of communicate with the trees Mm -hmm. so it's what would trees even really say would they even say anything interesting i think of it like tree beard from lord of the rings they just talk really (laughs) slow yeah i don't know they realize that everything everything is insignificant to them because they lived for so long (laughs) yeah um so they're they're fine with her talking to the trees whatever she's 11 that's total i have an 11 year old normal behavior for them to just do weird things but then they look over and she's floating up into the air and spinning around and flowers are blooming all around her and they're just like oh shit So they're running through these flowers trying to get to her in a panic, in a moment that could be like, wow, you know, our daughter's magical. They are just full of dread because up until this point, they didn't think that she was actually a gargoyle. It's almost like she didn't start showing any gargoyle traits until this age, um, which is similar to... um, For those who have read from Blood and Ash, I'm assuming it's similar to the culling, which is the age when your magic kind of starts to take hold. Um, So I'm assuming that maybe with gargoyles, because it kind of takes a little bit of practice and discipline, unlike vampires that are just always vampires, maybe those who have to shift, maybe it takes a little bit of time and practice. Yeah. Um, So... Yeah. And then and then at the the very last line, her mom says, like, like, we we have to get a hold of Rowena Foster. She can protect my daughter. Which at the time it was like, who the hell is Rowena? And then we find out that that's Macy's mom, which I figured, you know, that that would be Macy. Macy's mom. Macy's has mom. got it going on. She really doesn't. Um, she really doesn't have it going on. And and to be perfectly honest, she does a piss poor job of protecting their daughter because, like, as far as I know, Grace is not protected at all. <gasps> Could this be where they got the runes that that uh, at graduation? Maybe Rowena gave the, ru- the runes to her dad to give to her someday as protection. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, she ever seen disappears. Yeah, and doesn't take the runes with her, and they serve no significance <laughs> at all. Yeah, you know. And it doesn't also tell them, by the way, this isn't for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Like, so that's it for the bonus chapters. We have finished Covet. We have finished all editions of Covet. Um. I personally, I like all of them. I think that Vampire Court, if you want something heart-wrenching, something that's going to make you really sad um, and you love Hudson, that's the one you want. If you really like the idea of, you know, Flint and you want a kind of cute story, Dragon Court is a good one. And Witch's Court, if you want something that goes more into the lore of Grace's background and you're fascinated by 
um, you know, how Grace came to be and, you know, the time before her parents died. I think that Witch's Court gives the most crucial information to the long term of the story. Yes. Um, but, guys, thanks so much for listening. Next week, we will be uh, starting Court. It is a brand new season of Crave the Book. Um, so uh, feel free to share it on social. We you- are now dating the book. Yes. We're going to court the book. Oh, very special. (laughs) So, um, yeah, guys, and keep shouting us out on social. I think that as of right now, we have about 200 listeners that listen to every episode as they release. Um, And and obviously, when people start, you know, the podcast, they probably start with episode one. But it's totally acceptable to start listening to these, like, with the book you like the most. If you don't really care about our opinions on Crave and Crush, you know. Maybe tell your friends because we need yeah. we need more listeners. Yes. We've got like listen to our, our ramblings of nothing. We've got like forty thousand downloads. How? I mean we've got a lot of I, sp- I suppose this I suppose this one every week. And if there's seventy This is seventy eight. Seventy eight. Yeah. Uh was 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 forty thousand divided by seventy eight. <laughs> Now? Alexa, <laughs> what is 40,000 divided by 78? 40,000 divided by 78 is approximately 512.8205. 512. I love how your Alexa has a British accent. Did you? <laughs> what? I, love, I, I love that you even noticed that. I don't, I don't know what I expected. I, I, I don't know why I'm shocked. Like, mine, I mean, you know, mine, of course, sounds like, like Snoop Dogg. Um, yeah, Snoop Dogg. I, I'm, I'm making things up. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, thanks so much for listening. Um, we have a whole big giant book left to read. Court is going to be a, a lot of fun. a fat book. Huh? Fat with a P-H. P-H-A-T. Fat book. Fat so, um, yeah, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye.